Well, we're, uh, we're reading from Isaiah in these weeks of Advent, and I invite you to grab a Bible if you can from there in front of you or one you brought. It'll be on the screen as well, but we're reading Isaiah 35 today. Isaiah 35, and it's actually the whole chapter, I believe, verses 1 to 10. Let's stand together as I read this, can we, to honor the, the Word of God. And at the end of the reading, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, and you can say, thanks be to God. Isaiah 35, verses 1 to 10. Even the wilderness and desert will be glad in those days. The wasteland will rejoice and blossom with spring crocuses. Yes, there will be an abundance of flowers and singing and joy. The deserts will become as green as the mountains of Lebanon, as lovely as Mount Carmel or the plain of Sharon. There the Lord will display His glory, the splendor of our God. With this news, strengthen those who have tired hands and encourage those who have weak knees. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear, for your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He is coming to save you. And when He comes, He will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Springs will gush forth in the wilderness, and streams will water the wasteland. Parched ground will become a pool, and springs of water will satisfy the thirsty land. Oh, may it be so, O oh God. Marsh grass and reeds and rushes will flourish where desert jackals once lived. And a great road will go through that once deserted land. It will be named the Highway of Holiness. And evil-minded people will never travel on it. It will only be for those who walk in God's ways. Fools will never walk there. Lions will not lurk along its course, nor any other ferocious beasts. There will be no other dangers, only the redeemed will walk on it. Those who have been ransomed by the Lord will return. They will enter Jerusalem singing, crowned with everlasting joy. Sorrow and mourning will disappear, and they will be filled with joy and with gladness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Repeat this after me, would you? Newness is possible. The community waits for newness. Try one more time. Newness is possible. The community waits for newness. Read this uh, writer this week. He said this. I just want to start with these words. He said, in embracing this hope that we've just declared, that newness is possible. And in embracing this hope, Christians are different 
both from, on the one hand, the despairing who believe that nothing can change, and on the other hand, the self-sufficient who believe that they themselves will work the newness. Our lives against both of those temptations are directed to the reality of God, whom we discern in our present and to whom we entrust our future. Neither the despairing nor the self-sufficient, but those who look to the Lord, knowing Him in our present and trusting Him with our future. Well, we're, we're continuing the season of Advent and our series from the book of Isaiah. We're calling it Holding Out Hope. And to hold out hope is to still believe even when it looks like something might not happen. To, to hold out hope when things don't look like they're going our way. To, to have confidence and belief and faith even when it looks like it's not going to go the way we had anticipated. Something might not seem very promising on the surface, but we are holding out hope that it still might happen. I love in this story that, that I just read, I love in this story how the townspeople, if you notice my emphasis, how, how the townspeople were holding out hope at different things. The mayor hoped he was a doctor, the young wives a tailor, the farmers a trader, a, a merchant, um, the different people holding out different hopes for their own well-being, for their own benefit, holding out hope that this new person would meet their own needs. And interestingly in the story, how their needs were met, just not in the ways that they had perhaps anticipated. A lot of us today are like those very same people, holding out hope today for different things, for a relationship perhaps to be restored, for a crisis that is going on even right now around us to be resolved, for a financial picture to come into focus. Can we have hope? Can we hold out hope that God is at work in these situations in ways that are higher than our ways, in ways that we might not be able to anticipate or even understand, but in ways that display God's wisdom and display His knowledge and His care and his compassion. We're holding out hope. But I also love in the story how, how John Sonneman was the one to hold out hope for the people around him who were without hope or who were at least with less hope than he had. This man who comes into the town and awakens the possibilities even of what could be in the hearts and the lives of these people, adults and, and children. Ultimately, as he reminds the people then of how their true hope came in the person and comes in the person of Jesus. So we're talking in these weeks about how we hold out hope for ourselves, but we're talking in these weeks about how we, as people who have found hope in Jesus, are holding out hope for people who are without hope, people who so desperately need hope to hold on to today. We want to be those people who are awakening the possibilities of who God is and what He can do 
with the words that we say, the actions that we take, and that we would be people who are ultimately like John Solomon, pointing people to the true hope that can be found in Jesus' life, in his death, and in his resurrection. So we've been looking at these passages from Isaiah where the prophet has been holding out hope. He's been painting pictures of what could be, of what the possibilities are that God will bring about in days to come. We've been looking about how he's holding out hope and what God will do in the midst of some really dark and difficult circumstances, both for ancient Israel in the present context of Isaiah, but also in the future days of the people of God. These passages are reminding us, as we've said each of these weeks, to look beyond our present dismay, to look beyond what's right here, and to see through the eyes of God what will be that is not yet. Looking beyond our present dismay through the eyes of God to see what will be that is not yet. These passages from Isaiah are reminding us during this season of Advent that ours is a God who, who intersects our lives, who intervenes in our lives. Ours is a God who involves himself in the lives of his people. We saw in Isaiah 2 a couple weeks ago how in the midst of the Really, the unfaithfulness and rebelliousness of God's people, still he promised to one day draw all people to himself, that the nations would come to worship him, that he would rule and reign over them in justice and in peace. We saw last week from Isaiah 11 how when the line of kings from David's family, those who had been looked upon to be agents of God's righteousness and God's faithfulness and God's goodness had become nothing more than a stump, remember, a terminated plant from which nothing can grow, God promised to grow a shoot, a new branch, a new king who would be filled with the spirit to lead with mercy and justice, a king that we have come to know as Jesus. Say it with me. Again, repeat after me, would you? Newness is possible. The community waits for newness. Today, we read as Isaiah promises a coming restoration for the people of God. This time, this restoration stems particularly from his judgment upon the nations that have afflicted Judah and Jerusalem, God's people. Chapter 34, which I don't necessarily encourage you to go back and read right now, I'll give you the Cliffs Notes, uh, is a, a message of wrath and a message of judgment that God will bring against the enemies of God's people. In particular, Isaiah writes of God's wrath and judgment against Edom. Not the big superpower, Babylon or Assyria, that we would expect to see mentioned here, but Judah's neighbor to the east who had capitalized really on 
Judah's weakened condition after having been put into exile by Babylon and who had taken advantage of them and made life more miserable for them. It's thought by scholars that the Edomites were, while the Israelites and Judahites were away in Babylon, were taking the very best of their land. It's, it's thought that they were particularly making pilgrimage for exiles back to Jerusalem, particularly difficult and dangerous, if not completely impossible. These nations, this nation in particular, was doing their damage against the people of God. But there would come a day, Isaiah writes in chapter 35, as we have read, when God would come and save His people. That, that, that both the land itself and the people in it would be renewed, would be renovated, would be restored. Finding new strength and new hope and new joy. This was the hope for God's people back then. This is the hope for God's people today. It may be best just to read this text from the center, from the primary announcement there in verse 4, and I have it here. I want you just to read this with me. Verse 4, I think. There it is. Let's read it together, can we? Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear, for your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He is coming to save you. You can just leave that up there for a moment. Be strong. Do not fear. Your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He's coming to save you. God is coming, the text proclaims, to rescue His people. This is the reality that Isaiah wants to remind us of today. That without God's powerful Word, that without God's powerful presence, both creation and all of humanity are lost. We are hopeless. We are condemned to death. But God's intention is to save. He will deal with our enemies and He will work for our good. This is the God that we worship. The God that we come to know deeper and more clearly during Advent. Can we hear this? Word to us again, down deep into our hearts, clearly this morning. You can look at this, but hear it. I didn't put this up here. Hear it from the English Standard Version. Translation goes like this. Behold your God. Behold your God. He will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. God has not forgotten His people in their exile in Israel, in Babylon. God has not forgotten us today. The promise is that He will come to save us. And, and I just get this feeling, and I just want to dwell here this morning because my sense is, is that no matter how many times you've been around the block with God, no matter how many times you've come to the altar of prayer, no matter how secure you may be or I may be in my 
knowledge and my understanding of the hope that we have in Christ, no matter how solid might be our faith, that God will save us, no matter how deep and mature our faith is, that the Holy Spirit is on the move and interacting and intersecting in our lives today. Each one of us needs to hear the assuring words, perhaps over and over, that God will save us. When I was a kid, you know, when you're a kid, you have all kinds of strange routines. And the fun thing about being a preacher is that I get to share mine, and then you get to evaluate me <laughs> and my, you know, psyche, my, my, my mental well-being. But one of mine was, was uh, I needed to know every night as I went to bed what I was going to be doing tomorrow. There was no uh, Google Calendar in the day. There was no uh, smartphone. I didn't have anything written out. So I needed to know what was going on tomorrow. But I had a special code word for this. My sister and I, we would just simply say to my parents, we would say, tell me in the morning. Just tell me in the morning. Tell me what's going to be happening in the morning. And then if you don't mind what's going to be happening in the midday and the afternoon and the evening as well. But tell me in the morning, unleashed the day for us. And I just needed to know. And, and no matter what I knew Monday to be like, and Mondays were pretty much the same for most of my childhood, I'm pretty sure, and Tuesdays weren't much different, Wednesdays and Thursdays. Maybe Saturday had some excitement, but the rest of them were pretty well known. No matter how many times I knew or heard or experienced the morning, I wanted to hear again every night before I went to sleep, tell me in the morning. And my parents would willingly oblige. I don't remember a time, perhaps I've erased it from my memory if it happened, but I don't remember a time when my mom said, you know what's going to happen in the morning. Can we give it up already? <laughs> it's Wednesday again. Let's just all go to sleep. But instead, I remember the patient. We're going to get up. We're going to make our beds. She always put that in there. <laughs> she always put that in there. We're going to eat breakfast. We're going to get dressed. We're going to go to school. We're going to come home from school. We're going to get a snack. Dad will come home. You're going to play catch. We're going to have dinner. Might watch that. Happy days. <laughs> if it was Tuesday, I think that was on Tuesday night. That's weird that I remember that. Then we'll uh, read a story and we'll go to bed. Every day. And I just think today, friends, and during this Advent season in particular, if, if any of us, I mean, again, I don't, I don't care how many times we've heard it, how many times we've been around the block? How many times we've knelt at the altar? How many times we've read these words? It just does us good, and our hearts need to hear, and our lives need to know that our God is coming to save us. And we as Christians during this Advent season in particular celebrate that our God has come in Jesus.
to save us. And no matter how many times we declare that truth, it seems appropriate to declare it again. This Jesus, whose very name means he will save his people from their sins, has come to make a way by which we might be forgiven, saved from the judgment of God, saved for the purposes of God in the world. Our God has come. Our God will come fully and finally and completely to save us. We've all maybe heard the the joke that asks, what do you get if you play a country music song backwards? Familiar with this? You get your truck back, your dog back, your wife back, your job back. Those are the things you get back in a country music song, right? All right, it's not like a satanic message or anything that's being played that you're hearing if you play it backwards. You get this. And, and this passage, some have compared this passage to a country music song because it's as God comes to save that restoration is taking place. That, that what has gone has, is coming back. That, that what has died is being brought back to life. Isaiah paints a picture of the restoration of creation and the healing of humanity that God will bring about. He speaks of the the return of these exiles from Babylon back to Jerusalem on what he refers to as a highway of holiness. What a picture. What a picture. It will be completely safe and secure. No fools will walk there. Only those redeemed and ransomed by the Lord walking upon it filled with joy and gladness. You heard it. I tried to emphasize it, but here again, the before and after, all right? The, the, the old and the new. Don't you love those? I, we saw some commercials yesterday and this week, and you watch the fixer-upper TV shows, and you know what, what was and what can be, and, and hear it again. Wilderness gives way to an abundance of flowers. Dry deserts turn green and fertile. The wasteland blooms with spring flowers. Deserts, wilderness, wasteland. Now, green flowers spring. The parched land, and we feel it, we identify still with this passage, becomes a pool. And and you hear it, springs of water satisfy the thirsty land. But not only the creation that God has brought into being is touched and brought back to life from its drought conditions, but hurting people, disabled people, people who are in great need are touched as well. Did you hear it? Those with tired hands are strengthened. Those with weak knees are encouraged. Those with fearful hearts are emboldened. The blind see, the deaf hear, the lame leap. Those who could not even speak, Isaiah says, will sing for joy. And a new way emerges where there had been no way by which the redeemed will walk with the Lord in gladness and in joy. You know anybody whose hands are tired? whose knees are weak, 
and whose hearts are fearful? Who isn't? Who isn't? Most of you know that this week we walked through some great tragedy and loss in our community of faith. Dear friend Matt Wilson, Darren's brother, was killed in an accident. And many of us were just with Matt in recent days, recent weeks, he and his wife Jenna and his one-year-old plus a few months son Jack were here, the hanging of the greens. Matt's been a great friend. Our hands are weak, our knees feeble. Our hearts even are a little bit fearful. We lost Mary Jenks this week too. Mary was here just two weeks ago sitting in that empty space right in front of Tom with her daughter Elizabeth and seemed in as good of health as we could anticipate or expect. And again, I just, I, I, she was sedated for most of the week. Her lungs failed and just told her several times how thankful I was for her. And when she and Elizabeth would come to church, you know, Mary never took the easy way out. She never just slid in and sat in the back row. She'd march down to like the fourth. And then she'd have to navigate her way out. And last couple weeks ago, I got to play bodyguard and guide her through the path to get her to her car. And Mary was a great encouragement. 87 years old, a full, long life. And yet still a family left, and friends who are left, and many of us are mourning and thinking about others who have been lost during these, this season and years past, and our hands are tired, and our knees are weak, and our hearts are fearful. So repeat after me, would you? Newness is possible. The community waits for newness. And so we wait. But we wait with a certain hope. Because we know that Jesus said to the disciples of John the Baptist in Luke chapter 7, to go and tell him when they asked if he was the one that was to come. You just tell John this, Jesus said, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And so as we wait for the fullness of the coming of God in the return of Christ in days to come, we celebrate that even now Jesus has initiated this newness by his coming, by his life and his death and his resurrection. It's a restoration process that has begun that continues even now through the Holy Spirit and through His church 
We are the people of God. We are the hands and feet of Jesus to one another who are helping even today to strengthen one another's hands, to encourage those whose knees are weak, those who, whose hearts are fearful, and we anticipate with great longing Christ coming again. set everything right. That's Advent. So it's our, uh, it's our joyful privilege in the midst of some real difficult days this week. And, and uh, I just want to tell you in the midst of those crises and concerns, I, 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 I have just personally relied on the prayers of God's people. And I know that Darren, your family, Nicole, the same. And I know that Elizabeth, who I spoke with last night, is just so, so thankful, those of you who know her and those of you who don't and knew Mary or who didn't, who knew Matt or who didn't, and who are surrounding these families and surrounding we who are trying to be involved in the process with your prayer. I, I don't know how many times I got out of my car this week and before I did, stopped and just closed my eyes and bowed my head and ask the Lord to somehow take over. Because we don't know what to do. None of us know what to do. We step forward in the grace of God, and He's been very, very grateful. But in these difficult, difficult times, we get to proclaim the glory and power of God who comes to save His people. No matter how bleak the surrounding landscape of life, whether that's personal for us, or whether that's in our communities, whether that's racism or violence or abuse, whether that's war, whether that's hatred, whether it is whatever would threaten to undo us as people and undo our relationships, we believe that we are claimed and loved by a God who comes to us and who saves. Suffering is not the end. God comes to save us. He's on our side. And so, we hold out hope. We hold out hope. Maybe there's somebody or some here today who need to know the saving power of God at work in your life like perhaps you've never known before. I, I just read over and over that our God is coming to save us. And we can think about that in corporate terms, absolutely. God is on the move. But this God is one who personally comes to save us as well. Who sent again His Son Jesus, as we read in the little book this morning, to suffer and to die, that we might be forgiven of our sins. And so there might be some who just need to personally grab hold of that offer of ultimate salvation today. And this morning, as we receive of the elements, again, as we participate in this, in the Lord's Supper, as we receive the bread and dip it in the cup, there is no greater time. And that's why you hear me say from time to time that, that we celebrate what's just known as an open table, that you don't have to be a member of this church. And, and we, in our tradition, don't necessarily even believe that you have to be a practicing Christian. We we just believe that you need to be someone who is seeking after God. Because we, we actually think that when you come and dip the cup, 
or the bread into the cup, that that can be what John Wesley called a converting ordinance, that it might even be in that very moment as you come face to face with Christ's sacrifice for you, that your faith and your belief and your confidence in him as a savior comes home, comes home. So whether that would be you this morning or it would be you this morning just needing the saving touch of God through his son Jesus in a fresh way today, may we receive again this morning the beautiful effects of our saving God. Let's pray together, can we? I'm going to invite our servers and worship team. You want to come up here? I'll serve you first. Lord, our, uh, our hearts are, are heavy again, as Aaron prayed earlier. At the same time, our hearts are full. Because we're aware of this restoration project, oh God, that you have set into motion through your son, Jesus. We're so thankful for the message of Isaiah that, that pointed forward to a time when creation would be renewed, when, when humanity would be rejuvenated, restored, when all that you had made and all that was broken would come to life again. And we celebrate that we are people who, have, who live in an era in which we are able to see and and give thanks for your coming to save us in the person of Jesus. And, and we, would, we would not want to be people who are missing in any way that, that offer, that gift of salvation that you are extending to us. And so may it be, God, that there might be some this morning who have never received that gift of your salvation or who have received it but who have turned away from it or rejected it or wandered from it, who would come into a fresh awakening of the newness that you are creating in their own individual life. And may we all as individuals and may we all as a body of believers and as people gathered in this place know the newness that is possible as we wait upon Jesus to come fresh to us. And as we look forward to the day when he'll come again in fullness. Thank you, God, that you are giving strength to those who are weak, to those who are weary today. I pray in particular for the Wilson family. I pray for Darren and Nicole, Lauren and Lucas. I pray for Jenna and for their son, Jack. I pray for Matt's parents and all those loved ones who feel this loss so deeply, may they be strengthened by your presence and power today. I pray for Elizabeth and her brother and her sister and Mary's grandchildren and other family members and friends who have been so impacted by her life over these years. We give you thanks for her friendship and for the impact on our church and on our lives. And we celebrate the homegoing of these two to be with you today. Thank you that you saved them. 
Thank you that you are even now saving us. And so, Lord Jesus, we remember it was on the night that that you were betrayed. (coughs) That you took the bread and you blessed it and you broke it and you passed it to your disciples and you told them to eat that this was the symbol of your body was broken for them and to be grateful. In the same way, the cup blessed and passed and you told them that this was the symbol of your blood that was to be shed for the forgiveness of their sins. That they should drink of it and be grateful. So today, oh God, deeply aware of this restoration process that has begun and is ongoing and longing to be ones who are contributing to it with all that we have and all that we are. We come before you celebrating your saving presence and power in this place and through your son Jesus. May we receive it with grateful hearts And may we walk on that highway of holiness with joy and gladness together with you. We love you. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name.